0: Mitchell mentioned in announcements that Dr. Randy Smith would be here uh, next week. I hope you'll come. Uh, about this time last year, we had Randy in, and uh, many of you probably weren't around during that time. But ask around, find somebody who saw him; they'll tell you you should definitely come back and hear him because they're the ones who gave us feedback that said, "Bring this guy back." Uh, he's he's got a break right now from taking trips to Turkey, Israel, and Italy where he does Bible tours. And he has a time to come and be with us. It's kind of a privilege for us to be able to get him. I hope you'll um, come back and uh, avail yourself to the wisdom that he's going to share with us. Uh, My name's Blair and we're not quite done with our series that we're in right now. We've been three weeks into a series and we're talking about how we have become comfortable with a level of busyness in our lives that's harming us. We've become comfortable with a level of distraction in our lives that is produce, producing a partial, continuous attention in us. It's harming us. There's influences that are happening in our lives that are shaping the way we think and act. And you might think, no, that's not me. I'm my own person. That can't be happening. If you have, if you have access to Amazon Prime Video, so if you pay Amazon Prime and you have the video, You should go and watch a 2018 documentary that was done by a psychologist. The psychologist was studying the practices of Facebook and Google and found that they were doing stuff that intentionally influences and manipulates people. In the middle of this thing, you're going to find out that at one point... Facebook realized it had so much power to influence people that it started doing psychological experiments on people. And they only stopped when people started committing suicide. That's how much power they had. Have they ever said sorry for any of that? No. Do you think they're still using that stuff? I bet you they are. And so, um, so that kind of stuff is happening in our life, which is a problem, because one of the areas in our lives where things can really get off track, where we can become distracted, has to do with how we relate with our stuff. And it, it turns out that our possessions, our stuff, is one of the primary things these guys are attempting to do. They're trying to find a way to get you to get more stuff. And this is a, this is a, like, this is a problem for us. Because it, it produces anxiety in our hearts when we don't think that we have enough money to get the things that we want or need. It produces anxiety when we look at what somebody else has and we don't have that and we kind of think that we should. It produces anxiety when you get a whole bunch of that stuff and now you have to manage it, take care of it, hope that it doesn't break. It's, it's a problem. and The reason it's such a big problem for us is because our whole culture... Is consumer oriented it's about you consuming as much as you can as fast as you can now I, I know this is true I think um, this was cemented in my mind I remember this uh, vividly uh, in 2001 a US president was standing on the rubble at ground zero in New York and one of the messages that they thought was necessary to share with the American people was go out and shop. Now I know what he was trying to do was to try to say get back to your normal lives but he said go out and shop and he said that because our whole culture is built on people spending everything that they make. In fact, it's it's built on spending more than you make. Go into debt but keep spending because that that fuels everything and from what I can tell, 70% of the U.S. culture goes with this. 70% of the U.S. culture wouldn't have $1,000 in their bank account if you asked them right now. Not in savings. And so you have, you have this situation where we're just churning it out and we live in that culture. And we're being influenced by that culture because we're consumers. And it's not just that we consume things. We also consume technology. We, We consume apps. We consume devices. We got phones, tablets, screens of all sorts. And those things are pushing stuff into your life on a constant basis to remind you what you need, to cause you to compare yourself with somebody else. And so you're constantly drawn into this battle where you already have something that kind of generates anxiety in you anyway, and now you're getting it on a constant basis. I wrote down this little formula because this is what I think is happening to us right now. Distraction, desire, consume, repeat. That's the pattern. Just keep you distracted. Generate desires in you. Give you a chance to fulfill them and then ask you to do it over and over and over again. What do your friends have? Don't you think you should have what your friends have? This is the latest. Why don't you have the latest? And all of this stuff generates within us a level of anxiety. And believe it or not, many of us are being influenced to go in that direction. It's hard. It's hard to see. It's hard to admit uh, you can probably see it in other people's lives, but it's harder to see in our own. I know this because this happened to me at Christmas. So we had all the kids in at Christmas time, and I i don't know if they got together and sent texts or whatever, but they all started making comments right about the same time about how the TV I had was pathetic. And they said it wasn't big enough for the room. It, it wasn't sized right. I should have a bigger TV if we are going to host, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I just... The TV was a gift to me. I like it. It served me well. I've looked at other times of getting a different TV. Didn't find a reason to do it, so I just never did. They left. They went away. And the next day, do you know what I started doing? Shopping for TVs. Started pulling up Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon, who's got the best sale price? I found myself standing in front of my TV with a tape measure going, oh, it could be that much bigger. That would look better in the room. I started working with my budget, started figuring out where I could fit this in. I'm, do, I'm getting ready for this series, right? I'm getting ready for this series. And that's what I'm doing. But because I was getting ready for this series, I was also trying to practice moments of silence. And one of those moments of silence, the Holy Spirit interrupted me and asked one question. Blair, do you need this? Um, no, no. I guess I don't need this. But in that moment, A bunch of stuff was revealed about what was in my heart because here are some of the thoughts that I had had about that TV I was thinking things like I've earned this perk I manage the budget all the time I keep everything in shape I deserve this and I had I had all of these things lined up in my mind as to why This was a good reason that had nothing to do with need. Had everything to do with feeding something in me that was off kilter. It was was about my motives being off, and God finally was able to reveal that. And there have been countless times where I, I didn't, like I was so distracted, I just went and did it. I went and got the thing that I thought I deserved, that I thought I had earned. And yet I had this moment where an ancient practice kind of interrupted that process and made me go, hmm, that was was probably a good thing that I hesitated. Maybe uh, there's an opportunity for another ancient practice in this as well. Like all the ancient practices we've looked at so far, this is uncomfortable because it's out of sync with our culture. It's uncomfortable at times because it's really easy to create, to create boundaries or rules for yourself that make you feel better than everybody else when you follow them. That's not the point. The point of this ancient practice was to be a gut check on the motives that you carry with your stuff, with your possessions. And so, um, what's fascinating is Jesus talks about this a lot. Talks about it uh, throughout the scriptures. He'll teach on this. And I want to take you to a section of scripture where he he talks about where the motives cross the line. Like um, God doesn't have a beef against wealth. And we're going to talk about that. But he has has these boundaries that when you push over them, problems begin to take place. So I want to take you to uh, Mark chapter 4. It's a fun An interesting story because Jesus tells a parable. He tells this made-up story that was meant to make a point and it's not even in this case it's not about the subject that we're talking about. He was talking about something completely different. Jesus was standing in front of crowds and he was teaching and he was trying to explain to his disciples how as he taught how it affected the different hearts of different people that he was teaching. Why, as a master teacher, didn't everybody change and become engaged with what Jesus was saying? And he was kind of going through this. And he used a planting, a planting story. And he talked, so... I mean, we understand planting around here. We live in an area where you can see tractors hauling down some stuff that drops the seed in the ground, and eventually everything comes up in rows and it looks beautiful. That's not what Jesus was talking about. It was a different technique they were using. They were using a scatter planting technique. You might have used this if you did grass seed in a garden or grass seed in a yard or something like that, where you uh, pick up the seed and then you just kind of whip it. And the wind takes some, maybe some floats a little bit. And if you're in the middle of a field, all of that seed's probably going to land in a good place. But if you're at the edge, as you whip that, some wind, some, some momentum may take and put some of those seeds in places where they're not going to grow. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, some of, this, some of the seeds, some of my teachings that I toss out there lands on a path. It's too, it's too hard not going to take nothing's going to grow there some of it lands in some thorny ground and it gets choked out others land i can't remember the other one and then the other one is on good soil he goes i'm I'm throwing out this i'm throwing out the seed it lands in places and there are reasons it doesn't grow and i i want to focus on the parable that jesus told because something happens that makes this one a little unique because he, he gets done telling his parable and this is what he finds from his disciples. Verse 13, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So he tells them what he thinks is an easy parable to understand and they don't get it. They're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and so he decides... I'll explain it to you. It turns out in verse 34 of this same chapter that Jesus begins a practice of telling his disciples after every time he teaches a parable because he wants to make sure they get it. And in this case, they actually write down what Jesus explained to them so that we have some insight. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he told the story. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on one of the types of soil. One of the types of soil found in verse 18. He says this, But still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. Remember, he's talking about people who hear his teaching. He's already talked about two different types of seed. Those that went on the path, those that went on the rocky ground, those didn't grow either. But this last seed, that he, he threw out into the teaching and went into their heart, but there was something thorny about their heart that choked out his message. He says this in verse 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Ooh. It's quite a combination. Do you see it there? Worry, deceit, desire. He said with that combination, people could be standing in front of me, Jesus. Jesus is teaching and nothing is breaking through because all of that stuff chokes out anything that he might have said that could have landed and changed their hearts. So this is a this is a problem. All of these things make you, do you see that word? It's really important. Unfruitful. What, what it does in your life is it causes you to not have anything productive happen. Those three things. So I wanna, I wanna talk about one of them because my, my guess is that you've experienced worry before in your life. Imagine you've had a time where that kind of anxiety, that thought of over and over and over again, of being concerned about something you've gone through, that, that's not helpful. I bet you you've had desires before where you've wanted something or maybe you thought you needed something and then you realize it was a want and then you're, you're always second guessing. Is this a thing I really want or am I out of bounds? Or You've had desires. You know what those are. But what is the deceitfulness of wealth? See, we got to get a a good read on that. Because if you're not careful and you drew the wrong conclusion, you'll come up with a wrong solution. And unfortunately, what has happened is a lot of people have looked at something like this and said, I think Jesus is talking about wealth. Wealth is a problem. I'm in a men's Bible study here on Wednesday nights and we're going through the book of Proverbs and the topic of wealth comes up over and over in that book and it's not the problem. Wealth isn't the problem. It's how you relate to it. It's how you relate to that stuff. It's how you relate to money that either causes a problem in your heart or it doesn't. How you relate to That stuff can either warp you and mess you up, maybe even deceive you. And that's where the problems come in. So I want to just take a few minutes and I want to give you three examples of where I think this really takes off in our lives, where how we relate to money and possessions, our stuff can twist us in the wind See if you recognize any of these in your life. Okay, the first one is if I only had more money or stuff, I would be happy, fulfilled, and content. If I go out and I buy that thing, I'm finally going to be happy. If I go and look at what my friend has or my coworker has and I finally get what they have, I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. It will meet a need in my life that I have for contentment. The problem is that level of contentment that you get is short-lived. It's a small burst where you're rewarded for doing that and you feel great about it. But it burns off quickly and you're left looking for the next thing to give you that sense of happiness and fulfillment. And you're constantly chasing your tail looking for the next thing to buy that's going to give you the happiness that you so long for. If you believe that you can be satisfied, content, and happy based on money or possessions that you acquire you are deceived. You're deceived. It will leave you wanting more, never satisfied, always scrapping and wondering, why am I so unhappy all the time? Because your goal for happiness cannot possibly satisfy you. And yet, many of us find ourselves holding on to the next paycheck, spending it all on stuff that we want, spending it on things that we call as needs, putting us in a deeper, deeper hole, getting us nowhere. Second, if I only had more money or stuff, I would have security It would be so nice because I could pay my bills. I wouldn't have to worry about my life. I wouldn't have to worry if there was an economic downturn. This can act as a protection in my life. It will protect me from all kinds of bad things. But you're going to find out pretty quickly that if you're relying on money to be your blanket of security, you have been deceived. It will not, it cannot protect you from everything. It can't protect you on your way to the hospital. You're still going to go through that, whether you have money or not. It can't protect you when a spouse decides, I'm done with this relationship and I'm leaving. It doesn't solve everything. It never has. It never does. And yet people pursue it. As if I had enough, if I had more, which they never know how much that is. If I had more, I would be protected. Always let you down. You know why this is so hard? It's so hard because you're being asked to trust a God that you can't see. And what you can see is your ability to go out and earn that paycheck and put that money in the bank. You can see it there. You can know it represents some level of security. And so what you see becomes the thing that you trust in. And your security morphs over and you put all of it in that. And you end up in a very difficult situation. We're going to talk about what happens to us in a little bit. Number three, there's a third way that I think we get deceived. If only I had more money, pursuing it could be my life purpose. I I hear it said this way. I could spend it better than other people spend it. I would do more good with it. It would be better if I had it. And all you're hearing from them is really this belief that having more would be better and they should be the recipients. And their whole desire, their whole desire surrounds finding a way to possess more. Their goals, their time, their schedule, everything is influenced by the desire to just get more. More stuff, more money. And unfortunately, it, remind, it reminds me of John Rockefeller quote. Can I show it to you real quick? When he was asked, richest man ever, right? Until recently when the tech people kind of took that over. Richest man in the history of the U.S. for the longest time was asked how much is enough and he said $1 more. That's what happens. If, if it's your life purpose and that's what you're going to pursue because it gives you meaning to have it. You can't have enough. You will grab more and more and more and it will leave you feeling empty because it's not an entity. It's just a thing. It's a a thing that our motives shape how we think about it and act towards it. And when we believe that it can fulfill our purposes in life, it sets us up for a hollow existence. Which, by the way, brings up another John Rockefeller quote, one that doesn't get as much attention. I know of nothing more despicable and pathetic than a man who devotes all of the hours of his waking day to the making of money for money's sake. Wow. How could a guy, when he's asked how much is enough, one dollar more, it's never enough, how can he make this conclusion? because somewhere along the line, he had figured out that if it became his purpose, he was dealing with some greed, no doubt about it. We all have that problem at times where we're dealing with greed. We just want it for the sake of money. But he had figured out that if you go down that path, what it does is it separates you from relationship. All you have is your connection with money. You don't have friends, you don't have family, you don't have anything that's genuine. God would say, You miss out on me. Jesus is teaching these people. He's given them some good stuff, cast it out there in front of them. And what chokes it out, what prevents them from having anything good happen in their life between them and Him, worry, deceived by their view of wealth and desires. All of that stuff gets stirred up in our lives. And he says, listen, if that happens to you, do you know what gets choked out? Contentment. You'll have no security. You have have no real purpose. Uh, Rockefeller here obviously had some conflict in his life. He wrestled with what he thought about this sort of thing. Jesus didn't. He was consistent all the way through. He talked about this. Not only did he talk about it, he lived it. I want to show an example of this. This is in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is approached by somebody who thinks it would be a really cool idea to become his disciple. I'm going to be, I'm going to join your team. This is going to be great. We're going to travel around. We're going to change the world. It's going to be awesome. And Jesus knows his motives are off. And so he challenges him and he says this. He just wants him to understand what, what he's looking at. In verse 58, he says to this guy, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But you can come and follow me. If you're up for that kind of life, you can come and follow me. Now, um, what's odd about this is in Jesus' day, most rabbis were fairly wealthy. That a lot of people who followed them, a lot of people who gave to their ministries, who were excited about stuff that was going on. Jesus had big crowds of people. And if he wanted to, he could have put out the basket and collected a bunch of stuff, got an estate, had a central hub, all of that. All of that could have been available to him. But he wants this guy to understand the price of truly following him. And so he says, I don't... I'm not going to gather a bunch of stuff. It's not going to be easy to follow after me. And the scriptures record that this guy walks away. Now, some have said what Jesus is promoting here is an idea of poverty. That in order to really honor and love God, you have to be impoverished to do it. The, the rest of the scriptures don't agree with that assessment. This is about motives. And he had figured out the motive of this guy was to have more. And he thought Jesus was a conduit for him to get more. And when he said, nope, that's not how I see the world. I live differently than that. The guy withdrew from him. By the way, more evidence that the heart of that guy choked out the message of Jesus and caused a separation from God. Walks away from an opportunity to be a disciple with Jesus because the way he thought about this stuff choked out the message that God had. Now in truth, what's happening here is that Jesus just presented in an ancient practice. This has been around for a long time. The practice is called simplicity. Simplicity. Um, Band, if you could make your way up here, you're going to help me out in just a little bit. The idea of simplicity is to take a gut check in the face of all these things that flood into our life, that masquerade as needs, that show up as wants, and you run them through a filter, that says, do I really need this? And if I don't, I'm going to opt to live as simply as I can. I'm not, I'm not going to try to actually get happiness out of this stuff. That's a waste. I'm not going to use it for security. I can't do that. Why would I do that? I'm not going like, to make it be my purpose in life. So if it's not any of those things, do I need this? See, you can do some pretty incredible things. God's not upset by that. God's asking us to have gut check moments with our stuff so that somewhere in the process, we don't end up distracted and pushed away from him. This is really a relational thing. Because if you're not careful, the relationship that you have with your stuff will do the same thing that we saw that it did to this young guy who asked Jesus, can I be your disciple? He's gonna say to you, that stuff is not important. If you can change your motives towards it, there's a chance that we're going to relate with each other really well. And I'm going to help shape your life. But if you won't listen to me, you'll lose me. And if you want to know the truth, you'll lose touch with each other too. And your life will be full of worry and you will be alone. That's how it works. And if you looked around our culture right now, I would tell you that's how it is working. Levels of loneliness that we haven't seen forever. Levels of anxiety that we have never seen in our culture. Where is it coming from? Well, we have these desires that get stirred up in us. We have these devices that then run it in front of our face all the time. And we get influenced to create patterns and different kinds of thought that move us away from God. And if you don't think loneliness is a big deal, uh, there was a study done in 2010. They followed 300,000 people for seven and a half years. And they were able to determine, after they factored out all the stuff that could skew this, that if you're lonely... It has the same health consequences as somebody who's obese or a smoker. Like it damages your health that much. And yet, we're inviting these things into our lives that are stirring up all of this stuff, these desires. And if you don't have a gut check on the way you think about wealth and stuff, you could end up with the wrong motive in the wrong place. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want to have the band play a song that's about choosing relationships instead. It's a over the top country song, man. It's going to be in your face about it. And this is a good, this is a good thing for you're going to be able to do a gut check here because if you catch yourself saying, that's a cool idea, but, but this is when I have to make the money. This is, when, this is just what I have to do. This is my purpose. If it's not relationships, then something could be wrong. So I want you to pay attention real close as I sing this, and then I'm going to come back up and close. This cocktail of worry, deceit, and desires, it's serious because it can rob you of a connection with God. It can destroy your connections with each other. It has that ability. So I've gotta ask. If you thought if you had more money, more stuff, that you'd be happy, that you'd be content, that finally your life would be satisfied, do you feel that way? Do you think to yourself, if I had more money, the security that I long for in life, the protection that I need, I would finally have if I I just had more stuff. Have you thought, if I just had more money, if if it was my purpose in life and I pursued it and I got as much as I can, it would be fulfilling to me for me to do that because I would be so much better than other people who had it. Friends, if you have any of those thoughts, you are deceived. This will let you down. It will leave a hole in your life. It will cause you to chase your tail. And you will miss out on a connection with God that could be meaningful to your life. So over the next week, What I'm hoping that you'll do is find some quiet place and just ask God to examine. Like, is there any motive that I'm carrying right now towards stuff, towards money that I've got to be careful with because these people are pushing this stuff my way all the time. And I may have been influenced, I may have adopted some things that I, I'm not even aware of and is sitting in the core of my heart shaping how I'm living right now. If you're willing to do that, God's willing to speak. And I hope you'll have the courage to open up your heart and let God examine and see if there's anything there that needs to be redirected. See if there's anything there where you need to start putting up boundaries so that the stuff that's flowing into your life doesn't keep influencing you that way. Like you're making wise choices. That's my hope. That's my desire for you. And as we think about next week, I I just want to pray about how that's going to go in your life. So would you join me? God, we live in a consumer-driven world. It's really hard not to be influenced by that stuff. We're walking around using devices on a daily basis that are pushing ads, constantly getting us to look at our friends and compare all this stuff in an attempt to get us to want more and to do something about it. And God, you offer up a different solution, simplicity. Simplicity to evaluate something based on if we really need that or not instead of the motives that drive behind. God, I ask you would open up our eyes so that we could find out if we've accepted any of that kind of deception, if there's anything in their heart where they start sounding a little bit like me, where they're out there thinking, I deserve this, I've earned this. or if they let you into that area where you're helping make decisions about their finances. God, this area was significant enough that you called it thorny ground. It's hard to talk about. It's a thorny area for people. And yet what you wanted us to know is it could choke the life out of a relationship with you if we're not careful. So God, give us the courage to sit in a quiet place and ask you to reveal anything that needs to be reformed in our hearts. And God, help us to adjust our course towards you. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.